When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to the second episode of Fifty Shades of Blue. Um, if you're still with us, then wow, you are a, you're a real trooper, and that's much appreciated, obviously. Um, things may have gotten away from us a little bit in this episode. We, uh, we did talk kind of a bowl recap, obviously, kind of went through that, kind of where BYU football's at. And then we kind of devolve into... BYU football players' stories, personal stories, uh, talking about how Jimmer Fredette's post-BYU career has been pretty bad and even somewhat embarrassing. Uh, And then I get a little bit uh, probably too much into the weeds of how much I love Taysom Hill. So, yeah, hope you enjoy it. I don't like Utah. In fact, I hate them. I hate everything about them. I hate the program. I hate their fans. I hate everything. So it felt really good to send those guys home. Jimmer Fredette has become a big-time college basketball star at BYU. That's one of my lyrics in the song. There couldn't be a, a prouder older brother than Carlino, me. a bounce to Haas. Haas posting up short corner right to the middle. Fades away. Got it! Got to watch the three. When you do what's right on and off the field, uh, I, I think the Lord steps in and, and uh, plays a you know plays a part in that. Magic happens. All right, Chase, we're back at it. It's been about a week. Episode two. Episode two. That's right. Um, before we kind of get going on what we uh, want to talk about, uh, considering kind of the bowl game, doing a recap there among other things, uh, it's probably important to mention. Uh, Things that transcend sports, rivalries, and whatnot, and specifically with the recent news of uh, freshman running back at Utah, Ty Jordan, um, being suddenly uh, killed in an accidental gunshot, is what they're saying, and just kind of how terrible that is, and um, how honestly, like I said, you know, there's only a few things that can truly transcend kind of that rivalry in sports, and this is definitely one of them. This is probably the most transcendent I can think of, really, um, especially life taken away so prematurely and with such promise. But just kind of putting it out there that, you know, we do feel for the University of Utah and their fans and, you know, everybody kind of having to deal with that more directly and indirectly even. Um, and, you know, you and I have a lot of friends that cheer for Utah, so... Uh, that would I just can only imagine the tragedy that it would be as well, you know, if that happened to one of our own. Kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, it makes you sit back and, and realize uh, sometimes we take things like the rivalry a little too seriously. And uh, obviously there's things that matter a lot more than than silly, petty rivalries like that. So for sure. definitely rest in peace to him and prayers for his family and everything. So. Yeah. And to think, I mean, did you see his stats at all, by the way? Just well, like, he, he was tearing it up this tearing year. Tearing it up. Yeah. Like he yeah. took the starting job after, after doing so well and averaged close to a hundred yards per game in this, in this season where it was just like, things were so hectic, but it just seemed like he was ready to hit the ground running quite literally. And, um, 
yeah, it's just it, what could have been. It's truly sad, truly sad. Um, but uh, like you said, kind of prayers go out to them, uh, to the family and to the whole University of Utah and all their fans and everything. Absolutely. Um, all right, so now BYU played probably one of the best bowl games <laughs> they've ever played, uh, which we kind of saw it coming from an offensive standpoint. I don't think anyone would have ever predicted this outcome that I would have at least, whose opinion I would have trusted, right? If anybody would have said, oh, BYU's going to come out, Zach Wilson's going to go on a tear, he's going to throw for over 400 yards and make it look easy, 220 of which are going to come in the first half, or however many there were. It was over 200 for sure. Um, I would have thought, all right, this person's an idiot. Like, I, I don't buy that. It's just kind of a total fanboy perspective and... So I don't think anyone that I would have trusted would have ever actually thought that outcome would have happened, but uh, it happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a homer, and I was predicting not even beating the spread, let alone a blowout like that. So definitely caught me, me by, by surprise. I, I saw Central Florida as possibly the, the best team we were going to play this season, and obviously they didn't look that way in the game. Um, and I'm almost sort of disappointed in a weird way because I feel like when you blow out a team like that, it almost delegitimizes the win in a weird way because then people are left wondering if Central Florida was any good or not. And uh, I kind of felt the way that way about a lot of our wins this year, including Boise State, uh, that comes to mind, where you beat them so badly, it almost would have been better to win a close game and then that people can walk away feeling like you beat a good team rather than kind of looking at feeling like your opponent sucked all along so it does yeah. become kind of a funny double-edged sword yeah in that absolutely but um well really I, I think the biggest takeaway is that central florida really just wasn't that good this year that's one of the biggest takeaways yeah. there's a few because i don't i don't necessarily want to undermine byu's win but i mean they had three losses prior to playing byu close losses they, yeah know, they were close they, they but they weren't to great teams they played cincinnati down to the wire that's true yeah. that's true but who knows how good cincinnati really is i don't know well it's now i feel like we'd kill cincinnati after that game. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad you were the one to note that you were the homer and not me even though we both knew that anyway um we both are though let's be real uh so I, it's really hard to judge that win for what it is there's not a whole lot to say Um, It it does put a nice kind of punctuation on the season as a whole to kind of get help us gauge better where BYU stands, which I think is an interesting overall question, Um, kind of where where this BYU team fits into the pantheon of all BYU football teams in history. Now, historically, uh, I'm nervous there's a lot of recency bias that's going to be thrown around with this. The biggest thing that I can think of to kind of help keep me grounded is how much of an asterisk this whole season feels like to me. We had a whole schedule laid out with just myriad P5s to play. And obviously the rug got taken out from under us. And so Tom Holm had to scramble and really get us a very, very impressive schedule, all things considered. But when you play schools like Texas State and UTSA, uh, among others, it's just it's a weird season, and when you when you schedule games three ga- like three or four days out, and then have to go across country to prepare for that, like like I can't think of a other season that you'd call an asterisk outside of this one. Yeah, I mean the one thing we have going for this season is there's sort of an asterisk on everyone's season this year. It's not just BYU. Everyone had their season kind of turned upside down, and everyone's schedule strength got diminished a little bit by not 
being allowed to play conference or out of conference play. Um, I, I do think that, you know, the schedule still does uh, compare well to some of the Mountain West schedules in the past, particularly in the years where we didn't play uh, top 25 teams outside of conference. And so I don't think the schedule is as bad as it might look at face value. I mean, that, that the whole group of teams we played, really, they're all, they, they would all compare well to, to basically a typical Mountain West schedule. So I think it still can be looked at as a special season. And to me, what separates this season, maybe compared to some of the other successful seasons BYU's had in recent memory, would be while you look at the final product and it might not stand out compared to the 2006 and the 2009 teams, um, where I think it does stand out is the fact that we managed to stay in the national conversation throughout the entirety of the season and uh, to be, con- you know, to have all the national media on our side pulling for us, t- talking about how badly we got screwed by the CFP rankings. I think in that respect, this season to me stands out and is probably the best season we've had in this century, at least. Best season in which regard, though? I want you to be more specific. Do you mean best, like best team? I don't know if this team's any better than those other good teams, but I think what it did do is it managed to stay in the national conversation, and and I, I think it, yeah, but that's that, what I don't like about that is that we have less control over that than just the product that we put on the field year in and year out. Yeah, but if I mean, okay, the the goal for every team is to win the national championship. One team can do that every year, and if you don't but, do that, but that's then, that's an oversimplification, right? We because we look at the comparing BYU against itself. Not against every other team. We're talking about 06, 09, which we walk away from. In the middle of the season, right, we were we were disappointed. 06 had two very disappointing losses, actually, all things considered. 09 had some, I mean, we got freaking shell-shacked by Florida State and TCU that year. Yeah. We look at those seasons now, and we look at how successful they were overall. Like, no question, everybody says those two teams were better than the 01 team. Well, maybe not no question, but I think most would agree yeah. That the 01 team was very inflated by a bad schedule, great offense, terrible defense. Um, but I, like I said earlier, we're comparing BYU against itself, not against everybody else. Yeah, but I think you have to take the the national consensus into account because if if not for if if, if you're not going to win the national title, what's the next next best thing? And that is to stay in the national conversation as long as possible. And that's how I measure a good a good season is how much how relevant we are deep into the season. Uh, the problem with the 06 and the 09 teams is they took themselves out of the national conversation early on. And while they did finish strong and they did finish in the top 25 and they were talent-wise and how they were playing at the end of the year, I think probably just as good as this year's team, I think, I think there is something to be said in, for how you measure a season on how long you're able to stay in the national conversation, how long you're relevant, how long you're considered to be in the running for something big. And unfortunately, while those other teams were good, they just weren't in that conversation at all. While I agree that there is something to be said about the national conversation, because that can almost objectively bring kind of a value to how important your team is at large. Yeah. But I still think it's a false equivalence because this year overall, as and you noted, you said, well, if it's an asterisk for BYU, it's an asterisk for everybody else, right? Which, yeah, for sure. With that said, it's still different in the sense where if BYU had played their original schedule, the chances of them going undefeated for as long as they did this year 
are like slim to none in my in my opinion. I I don't think they would have really even gotten that close. I, I have a hard time. And, and I don't know. I mean, if we stick to your argument where it's like it, that doesn't matter. It just only matters what we hear on ESPN all the time or Fox Sports or whatever. Like all the national pundits are saying, BYU year week in and week out are they're making the headlines. I, this year feels different as that being like the right measuring stick because BYU played double the games Ohio State did and Ohio State is still in the playoff. Like, <laughs> it's just there's so many weird things going on, weird variables in the mix that I don't think that that measures it the same way it would be measured last year or any other year before that. Well, that just goes to show, though, you look at Ohio State, it shows how important subjectivity is in college football because it's the one sport where subjectivity is king. Every other sport has some sort of objective way of determining who the best teams are. College basketball, you get to the tournament, and even if you got screwed in your seed, you still have a chance to work your way in and and earn the respect that you didn't get by your seeding. College football, we don't have that luxury. All we have to really take away at the end of the year is how other people think about us. And this year, we did that successfully. And I think more so than we have in, in, in... modern successful BYU seasons in the past okay but I do know we disagree about this and we could probably talk about this all day but like in terms of talent where do you think this team stacks up against other BYU teams all time talent wise I'd put it right on that same level of the 06 and 09 team I I I would say the offense is slightly better the defense is slightly worse it all evens out probably to about the same I, I I don't know Unless you had some time machine, put, have those teams play against each other, I, I, I think they're right about at the same level. The only, the only one I'm willing to say for sure is better is Zach Wilson. I think better than better receivers. than Beck and Beck and um, Max Hall. I think yeah. certainly from a ceiling wide wise perspective, but I I don't know if I'm able to like. I think our running backs were better in 06 and, and 09. I think you said receivers now are better than... I mean, I think tight ends are a wash. You had Harleen in 06 and Pitta in 09. I think I think Pitta is actually the best tight end of the groups. You had yeah. Pitta and George. Um, and that's not to take anything away from... Uh, this. Why am I blanking on this year's tight end? Oh, on Isaac Rex. Yeah, on, I don't want to take anything away from Rex. And I still think Bushman could be as good as Pitta or I mean that tandem could be the best tight end tandem we've ever seen potentially with uh, Bushman coming back and having Rex if we get Bushman back I I doubt he comes back do you think he'd go pro I think with the injury and everything he's just going to take his chances in the combine he's not going to get drafted highly he'll probably be like a sixth or seventh rounder at best yeah but but that's why he would stay I think yeah, because he could get drafted. But now he's got Rex to compete with for playing time. Not that Bushman wouldn't get playing time, but it's he's going to share stats with Rex, which is going to maybe hurt his ability to. No, I think anything would be better than getting. I think even if he shared stats, he could still Im- immediately up his potential to a third or fourth yeah, round. I mean, I'd, I'd be stoked. Stats. I'd be stoked. If I mean, they were talking about going into this season that he was the best tight end in the nation. Yeah, and I'd so. love to see it. I just. It seems to me like these days kids are more and more likely to take off if they've got any shot of going pro. We'll see. It, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Anyway, going back to this conversation, I I think they're more on the level of like 01 and 14. That's what I think. I think I think this team is more representative of that. I thought 
and it we are talking about fractions of a difference i think overall i think i think you put the 06 or 09 team in the in the current season that we just finished i think both run the table and maybe both with the exception of coastal carolina because the reason why we lost that game i think it's safe to say is that our defense had to prepare for the triple option in a matter of hours essentially and that's problematic for just about any defense and i think even an 06 09 defense which I think was way better than the 2020 defense, obviously, but maybe I'm biased. Um, still would even struggle with that as well. But I don't think they have any problems offensively in this 2020 year. I mean, we played garbage teams for the most part, mm-hmm. really. I mean, Houston even turned out to be really bad. <laughs> yeah. We played a bunch of the average G5 teams, and then we played three teams that I feel like were supposed to be really good in Boise, San Diego, and UCF, and then all of them kind of underperformed. So... This is it's impossible to measure this team because we don't even like the one lost coastal. Coastal is this one hit wonder that came out of nowhere. No one even knew who they were a year ago, and now they're suddenly a you know supposedly a top ten team, and maybe they are, but we don't really have any way of measuring that because they didn't play a lot of non conference games or anything. So, yeah, I I think it's impossible to answer the question of how this team stacks up against other teams. They could be better. They might be worse. I I just don't know. No, thanks for totally torpedoing this podcast segment. Then <laughs> I just don't. I, I I mean, we can speculate all day. I I personally, you know, if I have to just go off of the eye test, I would say that they are better than those teams. But you can make an argument the other way as well. You said you talked. You wanted to talk about something that you wanted to talk about last. Oh, time. okay, yeah. So. I guess, yeah, one, one good question is how do you define success at BYU? I know there's a lot of talk going around about whether we could go to the American Conference. I know there's been rumors of Boise State in conversations with them and how BYU would fit into that picture. And there's definitely a good argument both ways to either go to the American and kind of make it be our goal to compete for an American championship and that would be the de facto representative from the G5 to go to one of these New Year's Bowls every year. Um, Or you stick it out as an independent and maybe you play a better, more respectable schedule. And if national title is at all in that, on the horizon of your goals, you have a better shot at competing for, you know, a four-team college football playoff. But on the other hand, you don't have that conference title to compete for and you have less access to that New Year's Six Bowl. So a lot might argue, a lot of people might argue that for BYU, it'd be better to lower the bar a little bit and just say, hey, if we can compete for a New Year's Six Bowl once every five years or so, that's that's a reasonable goal for BYU. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. I, I think what every fan really wants deep down is whatever path gets us to better recruiting. I'm not sure a lot of fans are able to articulate that necessarily. Uh, they get caught up in the emotion of things and kind of what... I think ultimately you got to go off of what puts your team in the limelight the most. Because ultimately that there's a trickle-down effect from there. The fans get more excited, obviously. The more excited the fans are, the more excited recruits are. Um, and vice versa, right? I think it works out actually in tandem that way that you basically, if there's eyes on your team... If there's a familiarity with that logo, with BYU just being in the news year in and year out, um, then you'd see an influx of recruiting. And I think whatever brings us that, I think most fans would be able to get behind. What my opinion is of that, 
what gets you there the best is playing a better schedule because of independence or having a better shot at a New Year's Six once every five years, so to speak, which is probably a pretty good, um, I don't know. I mean, I would say having a legitimate shot once every four or five years, but not necessarily getting it every once every four or five years. We'd probably, I think the chances are pretty good we'd get it once every like eight years, like that we would be the representative of the group of five. But having a shot about four or five years, yeah, that makes that makes a little bit more sense. Or maybe three to four even, just having a shot, right? Depends, but... Um, I still like, as, as appealing as it would be to take that deal and to, and to be in competition for a bowl outside of the crap bowl, every, you know, the ones that we get as an independent, just having that idea on the horizon that if we did, like pie in the sky, but if we did go undefeated, to be in that conversation for a possible playoff spot is appealing enough to me to hold on to the, the downsides of independence and play through those and, and wait for that perfect season to somehow come about. And, uh, and so for me, it's worth keeping the independence. It also, you don't think there's a better or an easier path to the playoff with a group of five schedule? No, I mean, Cincinnati did it this year and they kept on. I mean, every time the rankings came out, they were ranked lower. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I think Cincinnati was kind of the, the guinea pig for that type of situation to go undefeated. And even they weren't even close to making the playoffs. So granted for them, they also were on, you know, under COVID restraints and they couldn't play uh, you know, non-conference games that might have given them that edge. But I still think that the G, I, I think something about being independent and playing five or six or seven P5 games in a given season gives you a little bit more respect from these committees that determine our fates. Yeah, I, there, there's something to be made about that. I think the other aspect of this that we're not mentioning is money, and I think that actually does have a trickle-down effect in a positive way for recruiting in some respects when it comes to like facilities and things like that. But I don't know how much weight that carries. I also don't think... BYU is really good about throwing their money around willy-nilly in that respect. Like, they're not about like giving their college football players jacuzzis <laughs> in terms of rehabbing. To name to name a couple amenities that I know are out there, like Alabama, I think has something like that. Um, so I, I don't even know how much money plays a role into this in the long run. It will be interesting to see if this year is is able to reflect better recruits coming this next year, this next season, and the season after that. Yeah, and I don't know if it had anything to do with our success this season, but we did land a couple big-time in-state recruits with the Tintview guys that were committed towards the end of the season this year. Yeah. Whether that was a foregone conclusion or not, I have no idea. Well, you said Temp guys, which just makes me think it was a foregone conclusion. Most likely. Unless their last name's Covey these days, apparently. Yeah, then that... <laughs> Betray us. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame him, actually. I don't blame Covey for... This might, this might be a bad BYU fan take, but I don't blame Britton Covey for leaving because the story goes that there was an... For one, his bro, like his coach was the brother of Kyle Whittingham at the time. And also, I get that there's a family legacy there, but I heard that BYU wasn't even that quick to recruit him, and Utah was. Probably because... I don't know who the hell was what we which what the name of the Whittingham coach that Tim View uh, what what his name is, but he was probably talking to Kyle early on and saying you might want to check out this Britain kid. He's pretty freaking good. Like he is actually very talented and has really college potential. 
And so Kyle reaches out ever so subtly even is all it would take. And from there, it's kind of like, oh, you know what? There's a relationship being established here. And then BYU comes in that like, I don't know if it was the midnight hour per se, but with the assumption of, oh, he's a cubby, he's definitely coming here, which BYU has a terrible track record of that. They assume that these these church-going kids, especially in Utah County, are just automatically going to go to their school, and it's sometimes not the case. Case in point, yeah. Britton Covey. So kind of the opposite of a Zach Wilson situation. Yeah, basically, which I, one of my buddies uh, the other day on Twitter actually, <laughs> uh, inspired by this podcast earlier this week, was saying how he's, he had a couple hot takes he wanted to throw out there, and one of which was how stupid he thought that he's a big Utah fan. Uh, how stupid he was that it thought that BYU, like how BYU fans take so much pride in the fact that Zach Wilson went to BYU over Utah and, and how like, does Utah regret it now that they didn't go after him and recruit him? And the way, I mean, I read an article on this and I don't even think that situation with Zach Wilson is necessarily positively reflected on BYU. Like, my takeaway is, yeah, BYU definitely went after him and recruited him or else they wouldn't have gotten him. But he did also, in a, some senses, kind of fall into their lap. I guess Satake initially wasn't interested, um, or at least he kind of had some like back and forth. I guess Ty Detmer wasn't interested is kind of part of that story. Uh, Ty Detmer obviously gets bounced. And then at that point, Satake is like, well, Wilson's given a verbal commit to Boise State at this point. And I really want him still, so let's let's talk to him once again. Let's get him down here on a visit, and let's make that offer and give it all official and everything. And I don't necessarily think that's something that's like, oh, good for BYU for seeing what Utah didn't. I think Utah had a better, on paper, recruit than Zach Wilson, which goes to show what paper can give you sometimes. And they went with that. And I don't blame Utah for that. I really don't. I don't. I, and I think... BYU kind of got lucky in some respects. Nobody would have thought Zach Wilson would have been this good, for one, but he was certainly better than what a lot of people were thinking at the time. Maybe maybe this is changing the subject a little bit, but it is funny how at BYU, I think, I think part of the reason these kids grew up wanting to go here is I think BYU, more so than any other school, we depend so heavily on having a successful quarterback to have a successful team. If you look back at every single successful team, and at least in my lifetime, you have to have an upperclassman, top-notch quarterback for your team to have a chance to be successful. And when you don't have that, you suck. And when you do have that, then your team's good. And of course, there's other factors that make a quarterback successful, having a good line, having good support players. But that's pretty much been the rule at BYU. You can pretty much throw all the coaches out, throw everything else out. You have a good quarterback who's an upperclassman, you're going to be relevant. If you don't, then you're going to suck. What do you mean you, this might be changing the subject a little? This was changing the subject dramatically. <laughs> well, I guess we're talking about BYU quarterbacks and kids wanting to come here and because we've established ourselves as being quarterback you. To Fair enough. But where? I mean, how often do you see it when a team is that great that doesn't have a good quarterback or at least a mediocre one? I mean, you see some of these some of these SEC schools can get by having decent quarterbacks. Well, give me an example. I don't know. You look at like... Uh, I mean... Just a, year in and year out, you have Alabama. You know that's no these Alabama quarterbacks as 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 glorified game managers as they are, which I mentioned. Yeah, they would tear it up at other in other conferences. Or even Utah, for example, like Utah has some successful teams without. Necessarily that might be the best example you're giving, actually, yeah. because even Utah fans know that they're they've had quarterback problems for years. Yeah. 
where they just haven't had a quarterback that could really get it done. But their teams have somehow survived. And it is kind of like the one missing piece they've had for some of their close years was a quarterback. Yeah. So you might be right about that. Well, in, in Utah's case. But I'm, my point is that I think it's actually very rare that you see that. I don't yeah. think that's very common. So BYU just kind of is like every other team in that respect. Well, but our formula for success, I think, because we're not going to – I mean, if you look at our recruiting rankings year in and year out, we're not competing with most P5 schools, and we're definitely not competing with Utah right now. But we're still fielding some good teams, and I think it's because we have a different formula for success. I think our formula is based on – developing an NFL caliber quarterback and then having serviceable players at other positions, having a big O-line. Whereas you go somewhere like Utah and the formula for success is recruiting a ton of depth on defense, having a great running back, and then having just serviceable people at other positions and it works for them. And so they, you know, Utah fans like to point to, oh, we have more people in the NFL, we get more NFL draft picks. But that's because their formula for success is about getting depth on defense that leads to more draft picks, whereas BYU doesn't depend as much on that for success as we do just having the best or one of the ten best quarterbacks in the nation. Well, you know, like the the bumper for this show indicates, and as Austin Colley has stated, that none of this should even matter. If you're living right on and off the field, the Lord takes over and magic happens, right? Well, that's probably why we lost the Coastal Carolina game. <laughs> I think we weren't living righteously, enough, either as fans or as a team. So, no, so, it's someone... not dependent on the fans. Nope, not dependent on the fans. I know for a fact it's not dependent on the fans, but maybe the players. What is your theory there? Uh, I mean, I'm, my theory is that uh, I, I think that if we if we were to be honest about the honor. I mean, we like to talk so much about the honor code, but let's be honest. If we were to truly enforce the honor code, seventy-five percent of the players would be kicked off the team on an annual <laughs> basis. Like we, we've both lived in Provo long enough. We've been I, we've been in those circles long enough. We we know that that your average collegiate athlete at BYU is not the upstanding honor code abiding citizen that, that some of the cougar boarders like to believe. I think I do. Th- <laughs> I do think Bronco Mendenhall probably had that number down to about 50%, but even then, because yeah. <laughs> um, he did seem to be like more stringent on the rule following, but not that I'm some honor code proponent. I think there's a lot of ridiculous things about the honor code that probably need to be reconsidered, but let's reconsidered or thrown out altogether. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, though, let's talk about some of the experiences you've had with BYU football players. What were those like? So I didn't have a whole lot, but there's one particular uh, experience that comes to mind. Back when I was living at the village, um, in sort of in 2012 or 2013, uh, there you were was one of those village guys. I, I did the village the first year, and I got out of there before it stopped being cool. The village, I used their hot tub. I can't believe that hot tub was indoors. That's a really stupid move on their part. By yeah, the way. it kind of defeats the purpose of a hot tub. <laughs> exactly. But uh, no, there was one day where we were all sitting around, and we were up. My friend's apartment was on the bottom level, and it faced across this courtyard. And there was another apartment building about fifty, probably 25, 30 yards away. And one day, an egg comes flying through the the back door that was left open and splashes into my friend's apartment and gets egg everywhere. And we look up out the window and we see the blinds shuffling around on one of the windows about three floors up. So, you know, put two and two together, it's pretty obvious where that egg came from. So 
we'd go up there to confront these guys. We weren't planning on fighting anyone. We just wanted to get a confession and just to, to just to, <laughs> just, I, mean, I think it was fun to see who did it and just just to just to kind of rile them up a little bit. And uh, so we go up there, and knock on the door. Let, and let's be real. You were expecting typical BYU Zub nerds, just like these. Like, let's go freaking beat some asses right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. I mean, I mean yeah, I mean, definitely that, that, that was the expectation. And we get up there, and a guy I didn't recognize answers the door, but he's a well-put-together guy, um, and he's, get, he's getting pretty fired up, and he's denying anything. He's saying that he has no idea what, he's, what we're talking about and that no one else is home. And then while he's saying that, a few other people emerge from the back of the room, and one of them was one of our favorite... Uh, BYU linebackers, good old uh, Brandon Ogletree. Brandon Ogletree. Tree. Tree, who ma- made famous by his airplane move. Every time he made a tackle, he stuck his short arms out and ran around in a circle like he was an airplane. Like a. How, like long, a, do you th- how, how long do you think his wingspan was, by the way? Probably. So he, like, let's be real. He was probably 5'9". Five, 5'9". Nine. Five, nine. He probably had a four six wingspan. <laughs> Okay. But well, yeah, you got but, to see him for, but, for but a fan. But Tree just made himself visible in the back of the room. He wasn't saying anything. He was obviously a part of this egg-throwing uh, little uh, shenanigans that were going on. He wasn't saying anything. He was just making himself visible so that we would know that if we were to get into a physical conflict that we would get our asses beaten. Because as much as Tree's wingspan probably limited his ability to fight, I still don't think I'd like my odds in a fight against Tree. <laughs> and so that, that, I think that alone was able to stifle any possibility of a fight breaking out. But the most vocal one was some guy. I looked him, looked him up afterwards. He was some backup who never saw the field. And he was the, the most loudmouth, most like ready-to-fight person in that room. So that kind of pissed me off. But And what would you do? Nothing came of it. Just a lot, <laughs> a lot of words were exchanged. Uh, not all of them were honor code appropriate. And, uh, Did you at least call them bitches? I, I, I in my version of events, I like to think we did, but you know that could just be selective memory at this point. <laughs> you but you peed your pants a little. Uh, I, I, I intentionally chose not to look and see what happened down there after. <laughs> so definitely did. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, in other words, um, BYU football players or jackasses. <laughs> They're football players. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I root for the clothes. I don't root for the players. <laughs> Not all the time. Not all the time. All right. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about, too, is I wanted to uh, give kind of a hot take that I've had for a while. And I, and I hope and – I, and, I, and this came to mind because I really hope Zach Wilson turns into a great NFL player, obviously. That's my biggest hope for him. And I think if he takes the – strides of improvement that he's made to get to this point and keeps that up moving forward i think there's a great chance he'll be just fine in that regard but this is where my brother gets extremely mad at me great yeah like he comes in like hot and we might have to get him on a podcast at some point to get him to like defend this because i'm pretty i feel pretty good about it Jimmer has been somewhat of an embarrassment to BYU in his post-college years. Is that is that crazy? I think that's a fair statement. I mean, you considering he was drafted at number 10, you expected him to at the very least be like a great sixth man off the bench to, you know, put some offense on the and he was out of the NBA in what 3 or 4 years and now he's playing in China and I'm supposed to care about that somehow. Oh my gosh, yeah. This kind of funny uh yesterday 
This is kind of funny, kind of sad, by the way. I was at my sister's house and her family's for Christmas, and um, my brother-in-law's brother came with his wife and their kids, and they were just visiting, and they told us they had this video of uh, that one of their friends kind of sent to them, and what it was was Jimmer wishing that family a Merry Christmas. <laughs> and I was like, this is... This is like one step removed from showing up at like a Comic-Con as like a bit actor. Like <laughs> that was like kind of sad to see. Like Jimmer has relegated himself to now taking money for wishing people a Merry Christmas. Wait, he's taking money for this? Via video. I can't imagine it was free. Maybe he just wanted to No, I think they did it through like, I think they did it through a company that does this. <laughs> yeah. That's where we're at right now with Jimmer. Sure, he's dropping 50 points a game in Shanghai or wherever the hell he is now. But the thing that, the biggest issue that I have with Jimmer, like moving beyond this, honestly, because it really does make me feel a little bad, but I hate his reaction to all this. And I think what we saw was awesome in 2011, obviously, or 2010? That was 2011. 2011, with Coach Rose's basketball team, Jackson Emery and Jimmer for that, obviously. And that magical run we had and just how Jimmer was in the news every day, basically. Um, But what was learned from there were some terrible habits from Coach Rose and Jimmer, right? So Coach Rose got to the point where he stopped coaching after this. He thought, well, if I can just find my next Jimmer, I'm good. And what Jimmer learned from that was that I'm the man, so just give me the ball and we'll be fine. That was the case in 2011. There's no question about that. But when he went to the NBA with that same mentality... That's what killed him overall, and that's what killed his potential. Yeah, he couldn't adapt. Couldn't adapt at all. Yeah. The Kings were a terrible organization to get drafted to. That that didn't help even for a second. And was, to get his coach fired within the first few yeah. weeks of the season. Yeah, exactly. It was just a total freaking you-know-what show. And from there, he still refused to learn and adapt. And that's what I hated about it. And it all kind of came to a head when... He played for the Suns, was it last, like two seasons ago or something? That would have been, I think, yeah, two seasons He comes to Utah and will not stop shooting threes, and he's just bricking everything. And then the fans, the fans trying to support him. Oh my gosh. And just cheering every time he gets the ball. And what do you, he went 0 for 10? Something like that. 0 for 10, then he finally made a free throw. Yeah, yeah. And everyone erupts. They went crazy, and you're just like, oh my gosh. So cringe. This is like, no joke, this is like those House of Highlights Instagram posts where you see like (laughs) the ball boy that's just like kind of sitting there, and like the whole game stops. And they give him the ball so that he can shoot like from five feet away, but they have to keep getting like the other teams getting the rebound and giving him the ball. And like everyone's just there helping this kid until he gets a shot in. That's what it felt like watching Jimmer in that game. And don't get me wrong, we're all happy to see those <laughs> highlights, but when it's Jimmer, absolutely, got, then it's, absolutely. it's just kind of sad. We are happy. It's great. Thank you. Thank you for kind of helping. <laughs> I do think those highlights are nice. They really are nice. But. This being where Jimmer has been relegated to has just been so embarrassing. And like, and and I think what you can take is Taysom Hill's version of this, right? Undrafted, but all the talent in the world. And just like a, I'll play anywhere and I'll play with anyone mentality. And I just can't help but think that Jimmer did not have that mentality. Jimmer played for some of the best coaches at the time, right? He was under uh, Thibodeau for a little bit. He was under Popovich for a little bit. Um, 
Who else am I missing? There was another. I mean, he he played on the Knicks. He played on the Bulls. Pelicans. Yeah, that was with Thibodeau. Yeah. But he just had so many chances. And it's like, don't tell me that he couldn't have evolved his game to be an amazing spot-up shooter. Yeah, and that's what he should have... Once he realized that he wasn't going... Once he got rejected five times in the first game on the Kings, I don't know if that's what happened, but basically that's what his NBA yeah. career looked like, was every time he tried to go to the hole, he got swatted. Once he realized that, he should have said, I'm a spot-up shooter. I know I've been the man my whole life, but I have to take a step down. I'm going to be the shooter that comes off the bench and hits two or three threes a game. And if he would have focused on that, he probably would still be in the NBA right now. And maybe that's not what he wanted, right? Yeah. Ultimately, he's certainly not playing like that's what he wanted. Maybe he didn't want to be a role player in the NBA. Maybe he wanted to be the man, even if it meant going to China. Yeah. And it's like, if that's the case, then I guess our our visions of like an impactful basketball player don't align, I guess. Because I think a role player in the NBA is way more valuable just in terms of basketball at large than somebody that goes tears it up across seas. Yeah, and the ultimate thing that kills it for Jimmer with me, even though I loved everything he did, it's just he's such a milk toast guy. He has the most boring social media <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. He gets on on social media during the Super Bowl and he says, who do you guys want to win the game? Like that's, that's the extent of Jimmer's interesting tweets. He's never had a hot take in his life. Never said anything remotely edgy or interesting, and that just gets boring. I just—it's hard to look at Jimmer's situation and Taysom's situation and not say and see that one of them handled it perfectly, just about, and is now really coming to his own and made an amazing impact for a team he's playing that is—that is has real Super Bowl potential that had it last year and has it this year. Yeah, and then look at the other and say he—they. He just did it all wrong. He did it wrong. Sure, he got a bad shake. I'm not saying he didn't. He got a bad shake, but you have to adapt. You could argue that Taysom equally had a bad shake. The Packers picked him up. He was behind Aaron Rodgers. He had a pretty good preseason. He ends up getting dropped with the Packers thinking, let's just get this guy on our practice squad so we can keep him. And immediately Sean Payton saying, I see a guy that I can do a lot of cool things with. I'm grabbing him. Goes to the Saints. And it's, it's possible that he feels rejected by one team, and he's like, well, Whatever. I'm going from one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks of this time to the another team with one of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL of this time, and this sucks. But instead, he chose to learn from these guys. Uh, I'm sure he tried to learn from Rodgers in the, in the short stint that he had there, and I know he's re- like Breeze has taken him under his wing. They have a great relationship. They get along really well, and it just there's no question it's worked out favorably for Taysom, and I think it's really just due to the fact that he just had this willing, I'm going to work at whatever it takes, whatever cost possible, because this has been my dream forever. Yeah, now, Taysom definitely takes the cake when it comes to who's the more likable BYU player in the spotlight in, in the pros now. Uh, the question is, so you look at what Taysom's done with his short stint as a starter for the Saints. Now he's having to back up Breeze again. question is, would you rather see Taysom be a moderately successful starter in the NFL for three or four years or see Zach Wilson go win a Super Bowl? That's a terrible would you rather. Well, I'm, I'm just saying because I, I think we, we both have like this unhealthy amount of love for Taysom. And Zach oh, Wilson, mine's, mine's as unhealthy as it gets. I've said before, and I'll say it again, I am gaysome for Taysom. <laughs> I think that's something we can all relate to to a degree. <laughs> But since, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced Taysom's going to be at that level where he can go win a Super Bowl. Maybe he will. But 
I think right now we're just kind of hoping he can have some sort of career as a starter. Whereas Zach Wilson's is majorly hyped, like first rounder. So I guess whose success are you more invested in? Um, I, I, I hate to boil it down to this, yeah. but it just comes down to likability for me. And Taysom's just got that over Zach Wilson still. Yeah, Zach Wilson's good, but I don't, I don't... I've never, like, looked at the kid and been like, man, he's just so likable. Yeah, like, if I if I had to choose who to go eat dinner with at Popeye's, it would be Taysom over... Oh, if I had to choose to pay for dinner, I would... <laughs> or, if, I, if I had to pay for dinner to go with Taysom or get a free dinner to go with Zach, I'd pay for dinner to go with Taysom. Where would you take him? Uh, anywhere he wants. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that's going to get me an invite back to his house just to hang out. No, is it is this still along the lines of the Gaysom thing, or is this is this uh, just you being a fan of Taysom? Um, at first, it would start as like fan, you know, just like just being a good fan. But uh, then after see where it goes, fan. you know, <laughs> if things if things turn out a little bit freaky, then like I don't know, we'll just see where his head's at. One of those dates where you call an audible and. <laughs> extend the, the plans a little bit I longer. can't go in with the foresight of thinking that things are going to go the way I want them to <laughs> but I do want to go in thinking this could be good so just kind of like let it roll you yeah know? I feel you there that's yeah, fair right anyway alright well let's go ahead and wrap this up because this podcast took a turn for sure um, before we do though I do want to throw this your way last time we talked about the wet bandits and the, their uh, moral depravity that really kind of goes unnoticed to some degree in Home Alone. I want to throw this question towards you. Is New Year's Eve the worst holiday of all the holidays? It doesn't have to be, but I think it becomes that way because of, and maybe this is just a cynic in me, but when I see all the New Year's resolutions out there that clearly weren't fulfilled the previous year and the year before that, it kind of starts to look pathetic after a certain amount. And I think just the whole making it public, what your goals are, and then not achieving them. I'm more of a private person when it comes to my goals. So I would say I would agree that it's a, it's a, uh, it's one of the worst ones. But I mean, as the holiday, like the festive aspect to it, like the festivities suck. I hate them. Like, cause I'm with you there when it comes to like kind of starting a new year and goals and stuff like that. I actually think that's cool. Like to kind of, hit the reset or refresh button and kind of hit it hard again um, and only for it to all come to an end in like the third week of January. The whole celebration of the fact that another year went by and we're still alive kind of thing. Well, I just, I mean, sure. I don't really care about the context. I think it's a contrived holiday. I think it's people wanting to get together for whatever excuse they have. And I'm one of those. I'm one of the sheep that just follow this. But I'll tell you one thing that makes... No sense. This this holiday is absolutely backwards because of this. It's essentially a holiday set up for singles, but only really enjoyed by couples. That's fair. Yeah. No, I've definitely been at New Year's parties where uh, it feels like there's a certain obligation to have a certain moment when the... That's the contrived aspect of when, it. When the, when, the, when the ball drops yeah. and then... Have you ever had a New Year's kiss, by the way? Honestly, I think... Maybe this sounds pathetic, but I think just the way my relationships have all come and gone and the timing of all that, I think I've always been single on New Year's Eve. I've had a couple girlfriends over the years that I know have gone over New Year's. 
but we weren't together. <laughs> so technically, I've never had a New Year's kiss either. Yeah, no, I probably should have just gotten a random one one of these years, but... I, well, that, I sounds know, a little, in, that sounds a little rapey. Well, <laughs> depends on how they feel about it. Fair, fair. I mean, obviously, they were going to enjoy the, the random New Year's kiss as well. Well, not obviously. I mean, that's just a suit that's baked into this okay. entire scenario. Okay. All right. But it just sucks. That's. I just wanted to bring that up because I think the holiday sucks. I think it's there's an obligation to get out there as a single person, and you're kind of like, well, I don't... Why? Like, this yeah. Well, maybe you should check Taysom's calendar for this New Year's Eve. Maybe I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I think we'll go ahead and call it. And uh, everyone have a good New Year coming up.